our faith needs to be seen and approved by the Lord. So again, what is this true and living faith about? It's not just about believing in God. It's about believing in the Lord and treating Him as such. It's about relating to Him as the person He is. This is one of the main issues most people have with getting things right with the Lord. They think it is just about believing in Him and being religious. Hello and welcome to another message from the Latter Rain Ministries, where we're dedicated to sharing Jesus Christ and His truth with the world. In today's message, we'll be talking about how it is necessary to follow Christ in spirit and in truth. The path to eternal life does not involve religion or trying to be religious per se. And so following Christ is certainly not about just doing good things. It's not even about attempting to have good morals. Following the Lord has to do with simpler, yet much more significant things. There is no room for the superficial or hypocrisy. When following the Lord, there can only be love and truth. We must do through Jesus Christ those things that earn God's praise and honor. Today's message is inspired on the book of Romans, chapter 2, verses 17 to 29. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Holy Lord, hallowed and glorified and exalted be you, O Lord God. Forever and ever, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory and the majesty, O Lord God. Lord God, I praise you and I worship you. Your will be done on earth as it is done in heaven. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray, Lord God, humbly for your forgiveness and for your mercy. Heavenly Father, I pray, Lord God, for the guidance of your Holy Spirit. I pray, Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, that you may speak to our hearts. I pray, O Lord, Heavenly Father, to help us to understand, to take in, Lord God, to be one with your word. To you be all the honor and the glory and the praise, Heavenly Father. Please remember us always in your mercy and in your grace. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Today's key passage reading can be found in the book of Romans, chapter 2, verses 17 to 29. This is the word of the Lord. Indeed, you are called a Jew and rest on the law and make your boast in God and know his will and approve the things that are excellent, being instructed out of the law and are confident that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes, having the form of knowledge and truth in the law. You, therefore, who teach another, do you not teach yourself? You who preach that a man should not steal, do you steal? You who say, do not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who make your boast in the law, do you dishonor God through breaking the law? For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you, as it is written. For circumcision is indeed profitable if you keep the law, but if you are a breaker of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. Therefore, if an uncircumcised man keeps the righteous requirements of the law, will not his uncircumcision be counted as circumcision? And will not the physically uncircumcised, if he fulfills the law, judge you who, even with your written code and circumcision, are a transgressor of the law? For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor a circumcision, that which is outwardly in the flesh, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit and not in the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God. 
Most people think that following the Lord involves being religious, about doing certain things and not doing certain things, a list of do's and don'ts, if you will. But that is not what the Bible explains throughout. Following the Lord has really nothing to do with being religious and or keeping religious practices. It's not even about being a good and moral person. It's about much more than that. One way that we understand that it is not about religious practices and our traditions is through Abraham, the father of faith, as the Bible refers to him. Abraham existed before Moses received the commandments. Yet Moses himself wrote through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the following about Abraham. And he believed in the Lord and he, meaning God, accounted it to him for righteousness. So what do we gather through that? The basis for everything with God is about faith, more exactly about living faith. What does living faith consist of? The Bible defines faith as this. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, for by it the elders obtained a good testimony. So in front of who did these elders or ancestors obtain a good testimony? Before men? Yes. But more importantly, they obtained a good testimony before the Lord. It's just like we read towards the end of our key passage today where it said again, But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart and the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God. And so God is the one that must approve. Our faith needs to be seen and approved by the Lord. So again, what is this true and living faith about? It's not just about believing in God. It's about believing in the Lord and treating him as such. It's about relating to him as the person he is. This is one of the main issues most people have with getting things right with the Lord. They think it is just about believing in him and being religious. One of the places in the Bible that leaves things very clear regarding this concept of just believing in God as justification is in James. James chapter two says, you believe that there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. So does just believing in God get it done, so to speak? Absolutely not. We just read that demons believe and even tremble before the Lord, but we know that demons are irredeemable, lost for all eternity. Yet these falling beings display much more belief than most people because there are a lot of people that say they believe in God, but there is no visible fear nor respect for the Lord. For God himself said this at some point about his so-called people, and even more precisely about the religious leaders. A son honors his father, and a servant his master. If then I am the father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my reverence, says the Lord of hosts, to the priests who despise my name? Yet you say, in what way have we despised your name? We read about others saying that they believed in the Lord, yet questioned and even gave a hard time to the Lord himself. So again, the answer is not just about believing in God, about understanding who he is. What is it ultimately about? There is a very distinct pattern in all of those who did find favor before the Lord, and that is that they believed and treated the Lord as a Lord, and their actions displayed that before the Lord and before men. Noah believed God and he built the ark only based on God's say-so. And he suffered ridicule and social shame for decades building something only based on the say-so of the one he chose to believe in. And that faith condemned the world. Abraham did the same thing. 
Abraham had such a relationship with the Lord that he was known as God's friend. Abraham obeyed the Lord. Isaac would spend time with the Lord in meditation, communing with the Almighty. Jacob even wrestled with the angel of the Lord because he desperately wanted God's blessing. He desired with all of his heart what God had. King David, although he committed some big mistakes, would look for the Lord and look to do his will. This is what the scriptures say about David. And when he had removed him, speaking of what God did with Saul, he raised up for them David as king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. And he went even further, as it is written, from this man's seed, according to the promise, God raised up for Israel a savior, Jesus. This is what should give us the greatest direction and the greatest hope. That true and living faith in the Lord does not involve being perfect or getting everything right, because that clearly was not David's case. Yet, David's heart was like God's heart, and God himself said that about David. David treated the Lord like a person, like the most valuable person to him in all of the world. David loved the Lord, and his love for the Lord earned him the right to become the root of the Messiah, for the Messiah was to be called Son of David. God raised up the Savior of the world, the Lord Jesus Christ from David. So having said all of this, we gather that true and living faith is about loving the Lord and doing as the Lord says as a result, as a product of that love, defying all odds and facing any and all circumstances that come with this love for the Lord. Now, how does this help us get there to have this true and living faith? Because it is the Lord that always takes the initiative to help open the door. He points to our sin. Sin blinds us from all the reality that God is. Sin separates us from God. A person will never be able to see and even far less learn how to appreciate who God is and how he needs to be treated unless sin is dealt with somehow. One place we see this happen is in the Gospel of John where Jesus deals with the Samaritan woman. This is what it says in John chapter 4. So he came to a city of Samaria which is called Sychar near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You have well said, I have no husband. 
for you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband, in that you spoke truly. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. So if we look at how things happened, we see that Jesus went to this place and he was the one that spoke to the woman. He started the conversation. And through that conversation, he brings to the light the woman's sin issues, but not with the goal to condemn her but rather for her to be able to understand what is wrong so that faith can be born in her, so that the spiritual blindfold she had on could be taken off, so that she could see him more clearly, which she does in the end. This Samaritan woman was too busy with life, too busy with her sinful lifestyle, completely blind to God and to everything around her, and what's worse, completely unaware that all of that was leading her to eternal destruction. Her end was not going to be good. But Christ intervened and gave her the opportunity by helping her realize the things that were wrong, the things that needed to change so that she could veer off that path that she was on and come back to the way of the Lord so she could live. That's the purpose of why God shines a light on our sins, so we can repent from them, turn away from them, so we can find him and do those things that perpetuate life, because sin only produces death. That's the problem with sin. God confronts us with our sins so we can draw near to him. Everything centers around his person, around who he is, and how he needs to be the reason for the change in direction. He needs to become the leader of our lives. He needs to become the Lord and master of our lives so that we can effectively attain those things that only he can give. That's why, again, it is not necessarily about morality or about being a good person. Isaiah chapter 58 explains to us, for instance, the true fasting that God is after that goes beyond just abstaining from food, where it says, cry aloud, spare not, Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Tell my people their transgression and the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways as a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the ordinance of their God. They ask of me the ordinances of justice. They take delight in approaching God. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen? Why have we afflicted our souls and you take no notice? In fact, in the day of your fast, you find pleasure and exploit all your laborers. Indeed, you fast for strife and debate and to strike with the fist of wickedness. You will not fast as you do this day to make your voice heard on high. Is it a fast that I have chosen, a day for a man to afflict his soul? Is it to bow down his head like a bulrush and to spread out sackcloth and ashes? Would you call this a fast and an acceptable day to the Lord? 
Is this not the fast that I have chosen to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free, and that you break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and that you bring to your house the poor who are cast out when you see the naked that you cover him and not hide yourself from your own flesh? Then your light shall break forth like the morning, your healing shall spring forth speedily and your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry and he shall say, here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and speaking wickedness, if you extend your soul to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted soul, then your light shall dawn in the darkness and your darkness shall be as the noonday. The Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your soul in drought and strengthen your bones. You shall be like a watered garden and like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. Those from among you shall build the old waste places. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations, and you shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. If you turn away your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy day of the Lord honorable, and shall honor him, not doing your own ways, nor finding your own pleasure, nor speaking your own words, then you shall delight yourself in the Lord, and I will cause you to ride on the high hills of the earth and feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father. The mouth of the Lord has spoken. So what can we gather throughout all of this? Everything leads to the reason of why we do things. It doesn't get any simpler. Why should we do things? What should be our reason? Because the Lord says that we should do them. And we should do as the Lord says, because we have learned how to love him, how to appreciate what he has done for us and what he intends to do with those that love him. Love needs to be the reason because loving the Lord fulfills everything. It's not about saying nice things and telling God that you love him. It's about showing him with your actions, with your heart, that he is who he is and who he should be in your life, no matter what. That's why it is written, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind, even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. And that is why it is also written, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith by my works. And it is also written, was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works and by works faith was made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled which says, Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness and he was called the friend of God. You see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. Abraham loved the Lord and he was willing to sacrifice what he most loved because God told him to do it, to test his love for him. You might think that God was cruel for doing something like that, but in all reality, what seems to be cruel serves many purposes, but mainly so that God could see that Abraham did in fact love him with all of his heart. And so that we, you and I, could see the example of what loving God looks like. And also, so we could understand what God did for us in the cross, so that we could have our sins forgiven and attain eternal life. 
Our sin must be pulled away from us so that we can get rid of the selfishness that destroys us, so that we can see God's love and everything He has in store for us. Our reason should be love, always love. When we love God, we follow Him. We do things for Him because we want to please Him. That is what should be the foundation, the root, the base for everything in our lives, the reason for our existence. That is what following Christ in spirit and in truth is all about. The start to following Christ in spirit and in truth can only be achieved by repenting and converting from all of our sins. That's where it all begins. The work of the Holy Spirit involves bringing a complete conviction of sin that a person has done it all wrong by not loving the Lord with all their hearts and not loving their neighbor as themselves. You see, the nature of sin involves within itself selfishness, and selfishness brings about destruction. When a person does not take into consideration the Lord by giving Him the proper place in their life, they will only wind up doing things that destroy themselves and destroy others. It is impossible to produce eternal life in our being without the Lord of life being the effective and literal Lord of our lives. We were created by the Lord for the Lord. That's the purpose of our existence. That's the meaning of life. But when we don't fulfill that purpose, and we do only what we want to do, looking to only fulfill our will and sinful desires, then we are only following down a path that will end in eternal death and eternal perdition. Sin is a part of our physical nature. We must shed that part of our nature. We must understand that sin only destroys. We can only effectively let go of sin when we start over with the Lord and let the Lord lead the way. That's why Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's why it is not necessarily about going to church, about doing religious things. It's not even about trying to be a good person. None of that within itself does anything for us. When we repent and convert from all of our sins and effectively start over with Christ as the Lord of our lives, that is when we get on the path to eternal life. And we must remain in that faith by following the Lord, by learning how to love the Lord, by abiding in His will, not because we have to, but because we want to, by using our free will to follow the leadership of the Holy Spirit and fulfill the purpose of our existence. Then, and only then, will we inherit eternal life. That, my friends, is how we can effectively follow the Lord in spirit and in truth. Let us pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, hallowed and glorified be your name. Heavenly Father, help us to understand that you want a reality in our lives, that you want a true and real relationship with us, a personal and intimate relationship. You want for us ultimately to treat you like the person that you are, the being that you are, the creator of heaven and earth, the one that we owe everything to. Heavenly Father, help us to understand that it is about just being fair. You created us. You made us. And through Jesus Christ, you give us, O oh Lord, the opportunity to be eternally saved. Lord, you've done it all for us. And the only fair thing to do 
is to do everything for you. Heavenly Father, help us to understand that reality. Help us to treasure and value that reality, Lord God. Help us, O oh Lord, to be able to truly follow you in spirit and in truth because of what you have done. Help us to learn how to love you, Lord God, above all things, because there is truly nothing that compares to you, Lord God. Heavenly Father, help us, O oh Lord, to be able to fulfill the law of love in our lives. Lord God, I give you thanks and I praise you because you are truly good, you are truly merciful, and because you give us opportunities all of the time to be able to turn away from what we have done wrong and to be able to follow you, Lord God. Have mercy on us, O Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Please join us again next time as we look into God's Word together. And if you have any questions or just need some prayer, please email us through our website. If you want to listen to other messages, you can go to our website or look for our podcast in the Apple iTunes store under The Latter Rain Ministries to subscribe. The Latter Rain Ministries is a self-supporting Christian ministry dedicated to sharing Jesus Christ and His truth with the world. The Lord is near. May God bless you.